0: I'm standing where the mighty Pacific Ocean meets the island continent of Australia. Out here, one and a half thousand miles north, northeast is the Coral Sea. That's pretty important as far as Australian history is concerned, because that's where the combined forces of Australia, New Zealand and America turn back the Imperial Japanese Navy. They were coming here to take over australia without the help of the americans this place would have fallen to the foe and therefore we owe a debt of gratitude forever to our american brothers and sisters we pay tribute today to the united states of america i'm john carter in australia and welcome today to the Carter Report. Did you have your oatmeal this morning? (laughs) I did. It's guaranteed to reduce cholesterol what has that got to do with the meeting today Beverly today is going to talk about oatmeal would you please welcome her today
1: Happy sabbath everyone. Henry Parsons Crowell was born a decade before the civil war and by the time he was 18 he had seen his share of trouble. He was only 9 when his father died of tuberculosis and at the age of 17 he himself contracted the disease and had to drop out of school. A short time later he attended a revival meeting led by that great evangelist, Dwight L Moody. During the sermon Moody shared an idea that changed Henry forever and Moody said there is no limit to what God can do through a person who is fully consecrated to him. Going home that night young Henry wondered what he could do for God. He hadn't finished his education and he certainly couldn't speak like Mr Moody. Then it struck him and he prayed this vow, Dear God, if you will allow me to make money to be used in your service, I will keep my name out of it so you will have the glory. After a few years of living in moderate climate of California, he was finally cured of TB and returned to Ohio where he bought a bankrupt mill and its most important asset the brand name Quaker. It was just a mill to process oats into meal, but 26 year old Henry had found the perfect challenge for his quick business mind. The high nutrition and low cost of oatmeal made it the perfect cereal for breakfast. First, he had to sanitise it to keep the bugs out, so he designed a sealed container for packaging. Inspired by the name that the previous owners had given, the new container continued to feature the colourful image of the jolly Quaker in traditional dress. Now, in the beginning, you had the full figure, and today they only have his face, but at least he's still looking happy and very jolly. Next, Henry designed a marketing campaign that soon made the Quaker trademark the best known in America. God was indeed blessing him with the first part of his vow. He was making millions, and not only from oats, but from other endeavours as well. Henry's reputation as a brilliant businessman, a tireless civic leader, and a devoted Christian was widespread. That's why in 1901, two board members of the Moody Bible Institute approached him for help. Thus started the fulfillment of his vow to give and help others for the glory of God. For the next 40 years, his brilliant leadership and generous financial support gave tremendous growth to the Bible Institute. When a large administration building was built, they wanted to name it after him. But remaining true to his vow, he told them, keep my name out of it. Before Henry Crowell died at 89, he set up a trust to ensure long after his passing, his wealth would continue to grow and be used to spread the gospel around the world. For 75 years, his wishes have been carried out. In the last five years alone, more than $25 million have been granted to over 125 domestic and international mission organisations. Most of the people blessed will never know about Henry Crowell. Young people, the devil doesn't want you to know that God has a special plan for your life. You may not become a multimillionaire, who knows? but God does want to lead you and help you to become the very best that you can be. Remember the Quaker Oatsman man and what he believed in. Follow your calling or career with unwavering commitment because it's amazing what God can do with a person who is fully consecrated to him.
0: notice beside behind me on uh, my right and on my left some rather strange animals. Uh, If you've never seen these before just let me mention that these are symbols from the book of Revelation and we're going to refer to them today as we go along. The topic today is America in Bible prophecy, what Satan doesn't want you to know. I was only a wee little boy when I met my first American. The Second World War was in progress and Australia was fighting the Axis powers and also fighting the Japanese the Japanese had decided to invade Australia. And Australia will never forget the fact that America came to the aid of Australia during their time of desperate peril. We will never forget that. I can remember driving in my father's 1928 Studi Baker with big, big wheels and skinny tires whose starter motor would not work. And my father risked breaking his arm and his back every time he cranked it. And I can remember there was a large camp of American soldiers staying out near the Cancross dock where my father worked. And I can remember the soldiers, I was just a tiny boy, maybe two or three, but I remember. My father stopped and picked up an American soldier. And he got in the back seat, I guess he was just a young boy, maybe 17, 18, 19, maybe from Kansas. And he leaned over the back seat and said to me, Buddy, would you like some candy? That seemed to represent America. Buddy, would you like some candy? Generosity and kindness. I can remember when the American warships would come into the Cancross dock and my father used to drive a crane. And There'd be a crane on one side of the dock and a crane on the other side running along the railway lines and two cranes would guide these big warships into this big dock. And my father worked long hours. He sometimes would work 24-hour shifts. Sometimes he wouldn't go home for days because a war was on and every man was expected to do his duty. And when an American ship would come in, my father would come home with wonderful stories. The nights would be cold in the middle of winter. Dad would be out there high up in the crane unloading or loading an American warship. And my father would say, Halfway through the night, an officer would call out, hey, buddy, you up there in the crane, do you want something to eat? My father said the Americans were the most generous people in the world. What I'm going to tell you now is censored and the CIA must never hear it. (laughs) But under our beds... At my house on the riverbank at 31 Key Street, Balimba, Brisbane, we had dozens of jerry cans. You don't know what that is. <laughs> Roland Stewart would know. They were the cans that Americans carried that contained petrol or gas. And there was a terrible rationing on But because of our associations with the Americans, we were never short of gas. Even though every night, I guess, we were in dire peril of meeting our creator. (laughs) I will never forget those things. I will never forget those days. I don't remember personally, but a tremendous battle was fought off the Queensland coast. Off the Queensland coast, you have the Great Coral Sea. There you have the Great Barrier Reef. And the Japanese were coming down like a wolf upon the fold. Australia had only a small population, and most of our soldiers were in Europe fighting the Nazis. So Australia was largely unprotected. The Japanese Imperial Navy steamed south, to invade Australia. But they hadn't counted on the Americans. They're the back of this invading force was broken in the Coral Sea. Australians have got long memories we remember General Douglas MacArthur in Brisbane, where he stayed at the Lennox Hotel. My father told me, I saw the general today walking with his pipe. Australia owes a debt of gratitude to America. And that is why, when your president, George Bush, called my prime minister, John Howard and said, we don't have many friends apparently in Europe and in the world. Will you stand with us? It didn't take long for the Prime Minister to say, we have been with you in the First World War, in the Second World War, in the Korean War. We bled together. We were the only nation in the world that supported you in Vietnam. And we were with you in the Gulf War and we will be with you when you invade Baghdad. And so Britain and Australia supported America. In times of crisis, we know who our friends really are. Americans and this great nation have made some great accomplishments for the human race. There are some terrible blots on the history of America, such as slavery. Nobody can think about this without a sense of shame, especially if his ancestors were involved in the slave trade. But we should never forget that while there was slavery there was also an American civil war when hundreds of thousands of young men, the vast majority being white young men, gave their lives that black slaves might be free. We should never forget that. We should never forget the good moments of the civil rights, even though Awful things were practiced against black people in this country. We should never forget that America as a nation rose up in indignation and said, this shall not prevail. We should never forget this. We should never forget Martin Luther King, a black preacher, and his wonderful speech, I Have a Dream. We should never forget that although America has seen some awful things, she has stood at the pinnacle of earthly accomplishments. We should never forget how America has treated her enemies when you think what the Nazis did in Europe and yet how America rebuilt Germany through the Marshall Plan. Just think, if Germany had won the war, would Germany have done the same as America did? I don't think so. And then the Japanese who, with great treachery that will forever live in infamy, the Japanese who attacked your nation unprovoked at Pearl Harbor, shall we ever forget the fact it was America who rebuilt Japan. And Japan today would be a barren, howling wilderness were it not for the United States of America. And then for many, many years, America rallied the support of the free world and stood courageously against communism until... The Great Wall in Berlin fell as it was destined to do. And then some of you here will remember the Berlin airlift when the communists said, we're going to starve these Germans into submission and the Americans said, this will not stand. And they flew plane load after plane load every minute into the city of Berlin. America, I would remind you, has been a wonderful friend to Germany and to France and to Japan and to the rest of the world. And that is why when your president, George Bush, called my prime minister, he said, yes, we are divided at home on this issue. Concerning the legality of it. But there is one thing you must know. We remember what you did for us. And we will stand with you. This is a nation that has developed as possibly no other nation in the world. The concepts of democracy. Like freedom of speech. And freedom of religion. And justice for all men and freedom for people to go on street marches and to disagree against the government. I've heard some people who must be very ignorant say we should not allow street marches. I would remind you that is the language of communist China, not the language of the United States of America. We believe in the right to disagree with the government. That's what America is about. And as was said in the United Nations when they were debating the Iraq issue, somebody said, we are very, very old countries and America is so very young. And Colin Powell said, yes, we are a young nation, but we are the world's oldest Democracy. Amen. So, Americans have much to be pleased about. And America is America because of her unique unnatural birth. Unique unnatural birth. America's birth was a supernatural act by religious people who wanted to worship God. It was not raised up like China, or France, or some of these other countries. Unnatural, you say? Yes, unnatural, because it is not natural to want to worship God. But America was born because of a persecuted, oppressed, suffering people seeking freedom. They came to this country to worship God, they were the true original Americans, the Pilgrim Fathers. The Puritans, the first Americans, were Englishmen who contradicted the English government and who believed that God must be first. Look at me, my American friends, and I will remind you of a truth that some of us have forgotten. Our first loyalty must ever be to God, not to our country. You say, that is a most un-American thing. No, no, no. That is a most American thing. Have you not heard of what happened back in the mid, what was it, 1776? Have I got the date right? I think so. The Declaration of Independence? Do you know what people call the Americans in those days? Rebels and traitors. Because they were citizens of Great Britain and they said Britain is wrong. America was raised up by people who believed they had the right to replace the government when the government was wrong. America was raised up by people who had a good knowledge of Scripture more than most of us have today. And they were aware of the text. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And there, they were perfectly aware of the first commandment that says, you shall worship God, and God alone, and you shall have no other gods beside the Lord. This country was raised up by people who believed in the right of descent. A true American is a person who puts God ahead of his country. Otherwise, He is no different to a communist or an atheist or a Buddhist or some other religion. We believe that we shall worship the Lord our God first and foremost. Does this mean that we should not be patriotic? What an absurd question. Patriotism is rich and good and is a part of the fabric of our being. The Puritans were patriotic Englishmen. But they believed that God was above the Union Jack. So, as the Church of England Divine would say to his congregation at this stage, dearly beloved, here endeth the first lesson. We shall now proceed to the heart and the core Of my message. Are you folks feeling well today? And so am I. We shall proceed to the heart of the message, and that is Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. May I ask you, do you agree so far with what I have proposed? Can you say amen to this? Thank you. Revelation 13 verses 1 to 8. And let me say how proud I am to be the pastor of an American congregation. Not only do I love you because I'm commanded to love all people, even my enemies. But I like you. And like, my friend, in many ways is better than love. Because... God even loves the devil. Did you not know that? Of course, it is true. He made him. Revelation 13, dearly beloved whom I like. Verse 1 and onwards. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. He had 10 horns and 7 heads. With 10 crowns on his horns. And on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and uh, great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, who was like the beast who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. This power here by common belief of all theologians, is the Antichrist of Scripture. And you'll notice over here this representation a body of a leopard, which of course stands for Greece. Then the head is the head of a lion, which represents, of course, Babylon, and the feet of a bear, which is made of Persia. And uh, the ten crowns represent the Roman Empire. We all know this. This is a composite beast. This is a beast or a kingdom or a nation that has all of these different facets in its makeup. Now, because I do not have, and you do not have hours to have an exegesis on these verses, let me cut quickly to the core of the case. This is a religious power that comes after Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece and pagan Rome but combines all those elements in its own character. This is a power that is a religious power and that rules the world for 1260 years. And this indeed is a great persecuting power. Let me simply issue now a small complaint that I have concerning much preaching in the world today, including preaching in Australia. Much of it is superficial. And these great issues that helped to raise up the United States of America are unknown today by 99.999% of the population, almost. What did the Puritans believe? What did the founding fathers of America believe that this persecuting power were represented? It is very simple. Perhaps they were simply ignorant bigots, but America was not founded by ignorant bigots. America was founded in the Puritans, these persecuted Englishmen, by the greatest scholars of the day. These people helped to give us the King James Version of the Bible. The Puritans and the pilgrims said that the beast of Revelation 13 was the papacy, the Roman Catholic Church in the Dark Ages. Now no Roman Catholic today should take exception to this. We're talking about the bestial work of of the Roman Catholic Church in the Dark Ages during this awful period in the history of the world. Let me read to you a typical remark by a typical scholar. I'm going to read it to you because it is of some consequence. This is a quote from the great famous Anglican preacher, Dr. grattan Guinness, who lived long time ago now he says let me inquire can anyone suggest that any other power in which all these marks or the majority of them meet they are eight in number and definite in character the prophecy lays its finger on the place where we are to find the great enemy Rome Rome The proof that the papacy is the power intended is strictly cumulative because of all of the points. The pen, I'm just taking a few lines from his quotation. The pen of inspiration sketched him in a few bold, masterly strokes, and there is no mistaking the portrait. Why did the Puritans come to America? Why didn't they stay in Great Britain? And may I remind you that the genius of the American nation, the genius of the American nation is that it was founded by Protestant dissenters and Bible scholars. And they came to America to escape the ravages of the papacy in the dark ages that ruled for around 1260 years, starting in 538 and going through to 1798 when the papacy had received a deadly wound when General Berthier, one of the generals of Napoleon Bonaparte, took the pope prisoner. Can any person today, any Jesuit scholar, any Roman Catholic priest say, My church did not persecute in the Dark Ages. No, none of them will say this if they are educated. This power put to death about 50 million Roman Catholics, Jews and Protestants with a few Muslims thrown in for good measure. This power here by the teachings of the greatest Bible scholars and by the teachings of the founders of America, points to the medieval church, the papacy. Now this power came to the end of its rule around 1798. And if you will kindly read on in the Holy Scriptures, you'll find that another power comes up after the deadly wound that was administered to the church of Rome. Would you please take your Bibles And notice Revelation 13 and uh, I will give you the chapter, uh, the verse rather, it is verse 11. Revelation 13 and uh, verse 11. After the demise of the deadly wound that was given in 1798, please look at me before I read any further. You say to me, but we don't hear this being preached today by television evangelists. That does not surprise me at all. Not at all. But I would challenge you to go and get your old family Bibles that go back a few years, the old family Bibles, and read the commentaries on these verses. You'll say, you'll find that virtually every commentary says that the first beast is the Church of Rome that received the deadly wound in 1798. Verse 11, what I'm telling you is politically incorrect, but so be it because it is the truth of God and I do not care for political correctness. Verse 11, then I saw another beast, another nation coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Let me read you a statement from a friend of mine who was also a great theologian. He said, Any religion that boasts in externals and forgets that genuine Christianity is a union of the soul with God and total dependence upon him for all is the religion of antichrist. Let that sink down into the molecules of the mind. But here comes, after the demise of the papacy in 1798, another power. Notice from where he arises. This power, my friend, does not come up from the sea that represents the old world. Because scripture says, the water which you saw are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. That is where the huddled masses were. Give me your tied huddle masses. The huddle masses came from old Europe with its old Catholicism, its old traditions, its old anti-Semitism. But this power that comes up like a breath of fresh air, comes up not out of the sea but out of the Earth. This power comes from the old world. This power comes from the new. Notice when he comes up John Wesley the man who raised up the great methodist church and my hero my favorite preacher 42,000 sermons 360,000 miles on the back of a horse won 500,000 souls to Christ Where are the preachers today where are the men of god John Wesley said concerning this beast, you say the Methodists talked about these things. Indeed they did. They studied these things. What has happened today? Ask them. John Wesley said he is not yet come because he is to appear after the 42 months of the first beast. This is a power that comes upon the world scene and does not come up in the blood of oppression but comes up as a lamb. And the lamb in the scriptures is the supreme symbol of the gospel of Christ. This is a power that professes belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes up as a lamb. And the next verse says, he becomes the last superpower. Now I would remind you of some things. These verses were written almost 2,000 years ago. And I would remind you that the Bible spoke about the time when there would be one remaining superpower in the world, Who would be able to enforce his decrees eventually upon the whole human race? Would you please read on in uh, the Holy Scriptures, please? Revelation chapter 13, and I'm glad to see all the Bibles open today. Verse 12 He exercised all the authority of the first beast, that means he had all the power of the first beast, that means universal power, on his behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. That is interesting, and I must pause here and comment on it. It talks about this power being a religious power, the lamb, And he brings down fire from heaven to the earth in the full view of men. This is an allusion to the work of Elijah the prophet and the day of Pentecost. Elijah was the true prophet of God and he brings down fire. On the day of Pentecost the fire came down. This is a counterfeit religion. And so apparently the power that arose with the fervor and the purity of the faith of the pilgrims undergoes a metamorphosis. There is a change. This power brings down fire. It's not talking about bombs. It is talking about a great counterfeit religious system that arises in the last days. And it arises in the new world. We have here today a very precious family. We have many precious families here today. But the family I'm thinking of is the Matheson family. And uh, they came with me to my homeland of Australia. Mrs. Matheson came because she wanted to see where her father drew his first breath. And that was at Avondale. Because his father was the son of Alan White. Mrs. Matheson is the great-granddaughter of one of the finest Americans that America has ever seen. And I'd like her to come out and Jim... It was her son, Dr. Jim Matheson, is going to bring his wonderful mother. And let me tell you folks something. If you want to go on a trip and you want to have ideal people to take, come over. You take the Mathesons, especially Mrs. Matheson because she can walk the legs off her son. I want to tell you that. (laughs) Now... (laughs) Let me ask you something. How did you like Australia?
2: It's a beautiful, beautiful country, and I wished I'd found it sooner. Ah,
0: bless you. Go to the head of the class. That's (laughs) wonderful. In fact, we're going to give you a rebate on your uh, monthly donations to the church because of that. Now, Mrs. Matheson's great-grandmother wrote many books I believe as millions of people believe that God gave her a view into the future as he hasn't given to us I believe that she was endowed with the spirit of prophecy and this is the book great controversy that her great grandmother wrote Alan White was an American patriot. So is Mrs. Matheson here. She's going to read to you from this classic, The Great Controversy.
2: This is from page 441. And he had two horns like a lamb. The lamb-like horns indicate youth, innocence, and gentleness fitly representing the character of the United States, when presented to the prophet as coming up in 1798. Among the Christian exiles who first fled to America and sought an asylum from royal oppression and priestly intolerance were many who determined to establish a government upon the broad foundation of civil and religious liberty. Their views found place in the Declaration of Independence, which set forth the great truth that all men are created equal and endowed with the inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the Constitution guarantees to the people the right of self-government, providing that representatives elected By the popular vote shall enact and administer the laws. Freedom of religious faith was also granted. Every man being permitted to worship God according to the dictates of his conscience. Republicanism and Protestantism became the fundamental principles of the nation. These principles are the secret of its power and prosperity. The oppressed and downtrodden throughout Christendom have turned to this land with interest and hope. Millions have sought its shores, and the United States has risen to a place among the most powerful nations of the earth. When the leading churches of the United States, uniting upon such points of doctrine, as are held up by them in common, shall influence the state to enforce their decrees and to sustain their institutions, then Protestant America will have formed an image of Roman hierarchy. And the infliction of civil penalties upon dissenters will inevitably result.
0: Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Bless you both. Thank you. Thank you. That is quite a, um, a thought-provoking statement, isn't it? Let me read to you what one of the greatest minds in the world has written. We should anticipate that Protestantism may yet follow in the wake of religion in other times and forsake The power of the Spirit for the arm of the state. That bulwark of religious liberty, the United States of America should appropriate the warning, especially to itself. I want you to read on in the prophecy because I have some amazing thoughts to share with you. Please turn back to the prophecy, Revelation chapter 13 and we shall notice what lies ahead revelation 13 verse 14 because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast he deceived the inhabitants of the earth he ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all to refuse to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and a slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Let me give you a tiny exegesis. The Bible says that this great nation one day will set up an image to the beast. This is not a literal image. This power will set up an image to this power. An image is a likeness. The genius and the chief characteristic of the papacy during the Dark Ages was the union. Of church and state. That is what Antichrist is, the union of church and state. But when this power causes church and state to be joined together for the enforcing of religious laws, that is the image of the beast. And the Bible tells us here that when this happens, The mark of the beast is going to be enforced. What is the mark of the beast? The mark of God is the Holy Sabbath. We're told this all through scripture. The mark of the beast is the change of the Holy Sabbath by the papacy. This power says, who changed the day? Of course we did. Who else would dare to? So what does this mean to me individually as a person sitting here in this church, in this wonderful land? Let me tell you what it means to me. It means that Bible prophecy is unerring in its accuracy. And that which was taught by holy men and preachers and prophets who taught it in faith, is now a reality. Russia is down. Europe is really of no consequence anymore. This prophecy said that there would emerge one power, one superpower, and that is the United States of America. This prophecy also talks about the resurgence Of the church of Rome in the last days. That is one of the reasons you do not hear these things preached. Because it is so unpopular. And the Bible also talks about the coming together of church and state. And the enforcement of religious laws. In that day true Americans will say. God first. As the Puritan said, God first. God first and last and best in everything. You know the story of the book of Daniel that we won't turn to. But this chapter is based upon that story where the king says, the king of Iraq of Babylon, He says, if you do not fall down and worship the image that represents my totalitarian power, you're going to be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. And the trumpets sound, and it says even the bagpipes sound, and the whole world falls down because they have a wrong hierarchy of values. But there are three, Dr. Burt, three dissenters And they are all Jews. Alfie, like the famous German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said, God before country. And when the Lutherans were sending, the Jews to the gas chambers because they turned their eyes. There was one man in Germany who said, I will not turn my eyes and he fought against it. In the end, as the troops of the allies were invaded Germany, the Nazis hung him. That's what courage is. And there were three young men on the plain of Dura and they would not bend down. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I'll give you another chance. They said, we don't need it. God whom we serve is able to, to deliver us. And if he doesn't, that's all right. And so the king in his fury like a mad Saddam has the furnace heated seven times hotter. And he throws them into the fire. And then he looks through the door and he says, I see one, two, three, four. Four. And the fourth is like the Son of God. And they bring them out of the flames, these young men who will not bow to earthly authority. And the smell of the fire is not even on them. All the fire did was to consume their bonds. They were delivered, said the king because they trusted in God in view of the fulfillment of bible prophecy my message to you is this bend not bow not budge not Burn not. Amen. Amen.